This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash local hustlers podcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash local hustlers podcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, your go-to source for connecting with small businesses and entrepreneurs in the East Valley. Get ready to be inspired by local entrepreneurs as they share their stories, mindset, best tips, and advice. And now, your co-hosts, Dallin and Eric Huso. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers Podcast. This week, we're super excited to be here with Jason Loak with Master Rooter. How's it going, Jason? Very good. Thanks. Yeah, uh, good to have you on the show today. Take a few minutes before we jump into the business and give us a little bit of a background on your life. Uh, so I'm basically a uh, Phoenix native. Uh, I was born here, uh, for the most part raised here. Uh, spent my 20s uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, that's where my wife's from. Uh, our kids were all born there. Moved back here in uh, 2010 and uh, kind of got re into the Valley plumbing scene. Um, ran a couple different companies, uh, here and there, different positions, uh, throughout, and then, uh, decided to go ahead and launch my own in 2019. We officially kicked off. Okay. So you've been doing plumbing your whole life pretty much? Basically my whole life. Yeah. My dad was in the trades, um, did some specialty plumbing type stuff. Uh, so I really grew up kind of doing that. You know, I can remember being 14, 15 years old, changing faucets, you know, my dad taking me to a customer's house and leaving me there and saying, don't come out until the faucets are all changed out. <laughs> so <laughs> for the most part, I, I would, I tell everybody I've been doing it my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever uh, go to trade school or anything or because you had so much experience working with your dad, did you not need that? Yeah, really school of hard knocks, man. Uh, you know, and trade school, I think it is great. And I'm a huge proponent of trade schools in general. I support a lot of trade schools and I think it's fantastic for kids that are looking for a path into, hey, what trade is good for me, right? Be an electrician or HVAC or plumbing or any of those trades. But I kind of knew where I was going, right? And I had that experience already. So for me, it was more the apprenticeship side and the experience, of course, with my dad. So I think if you are kind of set, you know, if you're a young person and you're set on, hey, this is where I'm going to go, then trade school isn't necessary. Jump into an apprenticeship. Try it out, right? Get a helper role. Most companies are willing to kind of let you get in there. So go get into that side. Get into that helper. Work your way into an apprenticeship and kind of go from there. And that that's what I did. Cool. And that's what I wanted to ask. If, if you are set on what you want to do, if there's opportunities, and it sounds like there are, to go right into it and you don't have to go to trade school. A- absolutely, yeah. For And specific to plumbing. And, you know, HVAC is a little bit different uh, because of the technical side. Uh, and I don't have an HVAC division right now. But the technical side there is a little bit different where maybe trade school or refrigeration school is a little bit more pertinent to some of the systems. But for plumbing and for us and just about every plumbing shop I know, and I know a lot of the different owners, the answer is go get a job with them. You know, tell them what you want to do. Start off as a helper. Work your way up that ladder. There's tons of opportunity there. And really for anybody I know in the trades, it is so hard to find good trades people. Now, we can't find them. And we have tons of different exercises that we do in terms of trying to recruit. So 
we would love to have some young people. And there's different stats, you know, but it's basically three to one. Three guys are retiring for every one guy coming in the field right now in plumbing. It is incredibly difficult to get them. So if you're a young person looking for a trade and that's something that you want to get into and you know that it's plumbing for you, which is a great field, go hit some shops up, you know, us, whoever. And we're always looking for good, young, talented people with a good work ethic that we can train and make into those those future stars, if you will, in the plumbing industry. Yeah, that's a crazy stat. Um, those 10 years where you left Arizona, were you doing plumbing as well? Yeah, pretty much. I, I've kind of done a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's all basically been revolved around plumbing. Okay. And so up until 2019, you've just been working for other companies, right? I had my own business before. Okay. Um, some personal circumstances forced us to sell, mm-hmm. mainly an ex-wife. Uh, so, you know, you kind of end up in those situations. Uh, so I was forced to sell out. Then I went, and, and I was a little bit smaller then, right? I only had about five trucks on the road um, and, and could never kind of quite crack that barrier of getting to the next level. And I'd see these other big shops here in town or in Atlanta or wherever I was that were huge. And, and it was always, man, how were they getting to that level? And so when I was forced into that circumstance, it kind of became one of those things where really I wasn't planning to go open my own shop again. I just said, I'll go work for one of those big guys and, you know, I'll I can go in there I've on my own. I can go in there and I can kind of be the crumb of the crop, so to speak, and, and kind of run their shop and show you how it's done. Ultimately, I ended up opening my own again. And I say for me, that was like going to college, right? I was able to learn what these big successful guys with 50, 60, 100 trucks on the road, what they're doing, how they're doing, how they get to that next level, how they scale, how they run their operation, how they run everything, right? How they run the warehouse, the fleet, the the trucks, the sales, the advertising. And it really was able to teach me a ton. So for me, that was college, right? It's go to work for the biggest guys that today I'm going to compete with. And let's see what they have to offer and how they do it all the way across the board. Was that hard from a humility standpoint to go from owning a business at one point and then going to work for someone again and being an entrepreneur, it sounds like naturally, was that hard to go, you know, work for someone again? Or did you kind of understand at the time, you know, what the process was going to be that it was like, like you said, your version of college and go to learn from them for a while until you got started on your own again? So my plan was never to start on my own again. I kind of figured, hey, it's done. You know, I started my first company. I was 19 years old. And so it was one of those things where I was like, man, I'm too old to have to do this all over again. I'm never going to start with 200 hour weeks, you know, and, and this type of thing, right? That everybody kind of fears yeah. as an entrepreneur. And I was like, that's just not going to be me. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go to work for these guys. And I've got kids, you know, I've got a wife. And, and so at that point I, I had to support them and I've got a skill set. And that was something to me that was always great about plumbing, right? Is that I would always have a job no matter where I went, what I did. I could always make a decent living take care of my family. And so for me, it wasn't really a hard thing from a humility, humility standpoint. It was more about, I got to provide, right? I got to put food on the table. This is the circumstance that I'm in. These guys are going to pay me a good living wage and plumbing. You're still helping people out, right? There people need you on a daily basis. So it, it kind of gave me a, a good feeling that I'm still taking care of people. I'm still doing the right thing. And I can still put food on the table and take care of my family. It was as I started going along and working for those bigger guys that I kind of, you know, you you learn something, right? But then you also say, I can do that better. And, and then you learn something at the next shop and you say, man, that's fantastic. I really like the way they do this, but I can do it better. And that's, that's the entrepreneurial side, I think, yeah. is that then you go, man, I learned, you know, these 15 great things. 
but I can do at least 14 of them better than them. I, maybe it's time to start my own again. And so it just kind of reached that point where I was like, I'm burnt, right? I'm done. I've done everything. I've run all the biggest companies in town. I've grown them. I've taken shops from, you know, a million to 5 million. I've taken shops from 5 million to 20 million. What am I doing? And, you know, I'm doing it for somebody else. And I think I can do it better than them. And I think instead of every time I would go to work for a shop, there would be one or two great ideas. And then they did the same thing everybody else did. And then I'd go to work for another shop and they'd have one or two great ideas that were different. But then they did the same thing everybody else did. So for me, it was, well, how come nobody has this ability to put all these ideas together, all these great ideas together and do it? And so for me, at that point, then it was like, you know, the 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 light moment, right? Where I was like, I'm wasting my time. Like, I'm just making everybody else rich and I'm not taking care of myself in, in the way that I should, right? And I'm still working 100 hours a week to put food on the table and to support my family. But I could do it for myself and I think I can do it better. And that's what led me to make that leap awesome jason love uh, love your story want to dig into a couple of things here that you shared so uh when you first decided to go back and work for a big company you had that fear of, oh I don't, I don't know if i want to be working 100 hours a week again as an entrepreneur i've been i'm an old man you know that's a yeah. young man's gig you know some of those thoughts that you had and um, but then you know when you're one man in a truck you are doing everything Right. And Absolutely. then you come to a point where you want to hire somebody. And that's a big leap for a solopreneur right? Yeah. to hire your first employee. Now you're able to do some of those other things. And then you mentioned like five trucks out there in your previous business. And you're like, how do I scale? I would love for your perspective now that you've scaled and you're you've learned from these big guys. Walk us through how you go from the solopreneur to hiring one person to getting the five trucks and then to really scale it where you're 50, 100 trucks on the road because that's not easy. That's no. not easy and, and would love to hear your insight and experience on how you're able to do that. I think it's kind of a couple steps, right? And the first one is, like you kind of said, taking your business from a one-man operation to a smaller still, but a multi-man operation. And the biggest thing I think is to be financially prudent and constantly reinvest in your business. So I see a lot of guys and I know a lot of guys that, you know, start their own companies now and they kind of get to that one man spot and maybe they kind of get even to a point where they hire a second guy and they start putting the money in their pockets. Right. And, and my lifestyle improves. My cars get a little bit nicer. My house gets a little bit better. My wife's jewelry gets a little bit better and that's fantastic. But then when it comes time to hire the third guy, they can't do it. Or the fourth guy, they can't do it. And so for me, that's probably the first step is be financially prudent. My salary did not change from when I was one guy to when I had seven guys. My salary never changed. I put myself on a salary. It stayed the same. It didn't matter if I worked 30 hours a week or 100 hours a week. I did not make $1 more. Every dollar I made went back into the company. And it went into the infrastructure of the company, right? Trucks, equipment, et cetera. But it also went into the advertising. Okay, it's got to be customers to drive that truck. I'm going to get another truck. Perfect. I'll pick up the slack here when I need to, and I'm going to over-advertise. So I'd rather be too busy and be turning away work. And so I would over-advertise. Then I would invest in more infrastructure and continue growing like that. So for me, that's the first part with, you know, kind of one through five, one through 10 even. From there, scaling to 20 trucks, 30, 50, 100, it really becomes about your brand and your marketing, right? You, you, and how you address that to continue to bring those customers in. 
combined with the financial prudence because it doesn't matter if you're one guy adding a second truck or if you're a guy that's at 20 trucks and by the end of the year, I'm going to be at 30 trucks or you know, a, a 50% increase. That's still a lot of money, right? $50,000 a truck. Oh my goodness, here we go. I just spent, you know, 500 grand. You have to be able to figure this stuff out. And so it still revolves around that financial prudency. Always making sure that it's not about the money that's in the bank. It's not about the money that's coming in on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, but where you're going to go and pay those expenses first. I always pay for my trucks first, pay for my infrastructure, my equipment, my advertising before we ever talk about anything else money related, all of that stuff is taken care of. And that gives us that ability to grow. And from my perspective now as a CEO, I look at that as leverage. That gives me leverage. That lets me make the decisions that some other guys can't make, right? When they're one guy, two guys, or even 10 guys, some guys can't make it past that level. But they hit 10 guys and now all of a sudden the house got nicer or whatever the case is. I believe in constantly reinvesting in that business and running as close to debt free as you can. Love that advice. So there's a lot that goes into that, especially on the financial side and, and, you know, diversifying your funds into different places. And like you said, making sure that you're paying off certain things first before you look at other things. Are you good with finances yourself or have you hired someone that um, is pretty skilled when it comes to budgeting and, and finance and handling that aspect of the business? Uh, <laughs> a little bit. So I handle all of it ultimately. Okay. Uh, I, I have a bookkeeper uh, that actually goes through my accounting firm. And of course, you know, somebody told me once when it comes to running a business, the most important people you can hire are your CPA and your lawyer. And that's 100% true. So my CPA and their office does the bookkeeping for us on a regular basis. In terms of how we allocate those finances and how it goes, I have, at this point, I'm large enough that I have department managers. So I'll make my department managers kind of come to me with a needs budget, so to speak, what they think they're going to need, where they think they're going to go. And like, so for us right now, this time of year, end of the year, we're going through that or have started going through that. Here's what I'm going to need for next year. Here's how much I project we're going to grow. Then I'll sit down and I'll take that back at them and say, I really appreciate you thinking that you're going to grow 10% next year, but 25% is what I expect. And how are we going to do that? And what are you actually going to need to get there? And base that off the numbers of what we've done so far, right? Well, if we had 10 trucks and each truck produced $50,000, then you're telling me that you can produce $20,000 additional next year, but you want two trucks. That does that math doesn't work for me. So we have to we have to reallocate this. We have to relook at this, right? And so we'll kind of go through that exercise. Each department manager through the general manager and through me and then ultimately I make my general manager who is in charge of each of the department managers go through and kind of come up with that for me as well. Here's where I think we're going to be and then we'll sit down and we'll go through that. In terms of how I allocate those dollars on a regular basis, that's 100% me. I'll sit down and I'll decide, here's how I want to do it. That doesn't mean I don't ask advice. I constantly do, right? I, I ask the CEO, I ask, I, I've got a mentor, so to speak, you know, in business. And I'll ask him, I've got an A or B decision here. Give me some thoughts. Give me some advice. And he will, you know, and from time to time. And most of the time I listen, sometimes I don't. Hmm. That That's kind of, you know, A, you're right as an entrepreneur, but B, that's, you know, sometimes you got to learn the hard way. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes there's not a wrong answer. It's just, here's how I would do it. Here's how he would do it. So you kind of go through that. But I come up with the actual financial decision making myself. Dollar A is going here. Dollar B is going there. Cool. 
So going back to, to 2019, um, you mentioned how you started to see things that they were doing good, but a lot of things that they weren't doing as good. And so you finally got to that point where you wanted to start up your business again. Was this like a slow process or is there one day where a light bulb just hit and you decided that you were going to stop what you're doing and, and get started on your own again? Uh, early 2019, it really uh, became painfully obvious to me that it was almost something that I needed to do. Uh, and there was a lot of things around that, you know, as far as um, the guy that I was working for at the time was taking too much money out of the business. Um, and, and, you know, his lifestyle was great. But my guys and my team, on, sometimes they didn't have calls for a week at a time. And so that, unfortunately, uh, you know, wasn't going to work. And so it just became obvious to me that I needed to start my own to have that control. And I think that's something that as an entrepreneur, just anybody, you want control, right? So I wanted that control. So it kind of became, okay, this is something I need to do. When I started Master Rooter in 2019, uh, we launched in August 2019. And I would say it was around February, March, I started thinking, man, this is, uh, this is not looking so great. I think this is something I need to do. Started having those conversations with my wife because you, you need somebody to go on board. When I started Master Rooter, I did not start as a truck in a truck. I started day one with five vans on the road, five vehicles on the road, ready to go. So I went all in. I went out and took every dollar that we had, uh, made my wife just nervous as hell, right? <laughs> took every dollar that we had, went and we bought five vans, five sets of equipment, you know, everything that we would need to be able to turn a dollar, gave my marketing guy a budget and said, here's what you have, and knew that I could basically get by for a little bit personally, and that the business would be able to at least self-sustain. I had enough belief to do that and turned it on and said, here we go. And, and we kind of took it from there. So we, of course, added since then. But we didn't start as one. I wanted to start a little bit bigger to really kind of jump in and make a splash and, and get after it. So that I didn't have to wear 97 hats. I could just wear, you know, 50. Super courageous. <laughs> yeah. Super courageous. No risk it, no biscuit, right? Did your decision... I assume it was a completely intentional decision to start out with five trucks instead of the chuck and a truck, right? Yeah. Uh, was was that intentional decision based on your previous experience owning the business and knowing, hey, this is what it takes to be successful. I know I can be successful. And if I do X, Y, and Z, boom, we'll hit the ground running. Yes, for the most part. Yeah. And there's a few things that went into that. Number one, I had a team that was following me. So I actually had guys that were working for me at, and that had followed me from shop to shop as I had gone around and turned around shops. So I had a certain number of guys working for me. And so I really felt the responsibility to their families, right? I've got guys that are sitting here with a wife that stays home and two or three kids that are barely getting by now, unfortunately. And it turns into that situation where I feel like I have to provide for them. So it turned into one of those things where, well, there's five guys and okay, I, I guess I'm starting with five vans. Also, for us being a 24-7 business, it was one of those situations where at least I knew that with five guys, we could cover that on-call without burning a guy out, right? When I started my first business, I ran all the on-call all the time. I worked 24-7. That burns you out. That really burns out an employee even quicker. So with five, I could spread that out enough that guys would have some personal time, still work a lot, and I knew I could do it from that standpoint. And then the third thing is I figured that with five, I could make such a jump into the market that I was no longer a small plumbing shop. I was at least a mid-sized plumbing shop in the Phoenix marketplace. And that gave me kind of a leg up. And so I knew that then if I did X, Y, and Z, 
I would be able to hit the ground running. I'm entering as kind of a small but a mid-sized shop, and that will give me that that opportunity to make an impact, to start growing, and to hopefully capture some market share right away that would, again, let me kind of continue the flow, the momentum that we picked up, you know, month one, month two, and really the first 90 days. And so that was kind of all three things that went into, okay, here's five vans. This is what we're going to do. I'm curious, did you crunch any numbers? Did you do any market research? Because you mentioned like you gave your, your marketing team a budget um, and you knew what expenses you had. Was there any you know number crunching that went into that or was it just a gut feeling and just you know all these years of experience kind of just knowing that if you put enough effort in that you would at least be able to get by for those first couple of months? <laughs> so what I did is I gave him a budget that was basically every dollar I had left that I hadn't set aside for my wife to be able to continue to run our family and said, put it in there and make the phone ring. Now, that being said, I still am am not reckless. So I knew that we were doing PPC, a lot of PPC. That was all PPC, right? Pay-per-click, make the phone ring now. And in our business, that's huge because it's emergency-based, right? When you wake up this morning and you can't take a shower, you're going to immediately jump on your phone, look up a plumber, and call. And so I needed to be that guy. So I gave him every dollar I had left that wasn't allocated somewhere else. But on the same hand, I knew that, you know, $50 or $80 was going to be my cost per call. So that would turn into X number of customers. I'd have a burn rate of this much. So I knew that I would realistically be able to capture at least X number of customers from that at an average ticket value of Y. And that would create enough money that then the next month I would be able to re-roll it right back into the same thing. So that's a lot of faith that you're putting into the marketing team or whoever you had in charge of that. How did you find someone that you knew you were going to trust that if you you know gave them your money and your funds that they're going to be able to to create ROI with that? I just stole them from somebody else. <laughs> he had been a marketing guy for another plumbing company that I had worked for. He had done great, and for some reason, him and that owner had a falling out. I always just kept his number, so when I got ready to go, I picked up the phone and I just played hardball with him. I said, "I need you to run a campaign for me. This is what I want," and he said. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but he said, sure, you know, to do your, to just to manage your campaign, it'll be $3,000 for your first month or whatever. And I said, no, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to give you $1,000 for the first month and you're going to show me what you can do with it. And if you do a good job, then we'll talk about your fee on month two. But your first month is just an audition, but I'll give you $1,000. Here you go. And that was it. And so I know I paid him only $1,000 for the first month because I didn't have enough to spend. (laughs) I threw the rest of it at it. And to into the marketing because yeah. you're not getting anything for that thousand. Not saying that you know the internet guys aren't doing their part, but it just I needed every dollar to go towards getting me a customer that I could turn revenue on. Right. So I I did kind of steal him from somebody else. He was working for some other guys too. So he's an agency guy, but I really you know really stole him from someone else mm. to to make sure that I knew that was his resume, right? That was his track record. I knew what he had been doing for me through somebody else in the past. So I knew what he could do. Yeah. And was there something about you that, you know, made him want to work, work for you for less than he would normally work for? I think he just appreciated that I asked or told him, this is what we're going to do. And I told him, you know, look, I'm going to be big. And he knew me from that other company too. So we did have a little bit of a relationship. He knew, and he said, I I know you're going to be big. He's like, so I'll, I'll work with you. So, so he knew it, it was worth it because his feet now is, many, many, many times what it was at that point. And I'm still with the guy, right? So two and a half, three years later, I still use the same guy. 
his agency fee now is through the roof for what I pay him. Uh, and I haven't, haven't left. I haven't shopped him because I don't need to. I'm loyal, right? You do a good job for me. I do a good job for you. That's the way it works. Awesome. So how involved are you then with the, the marketing and branding side of things? Did you, was that more just when you got started and then you let him and, and anyone else kind of run that? Or do you still have a lot of input into the marketing side of the company? I'm 100% in charge of the marketing. The only thing I don't do is actually manage the ads from what I would call the tech geek side, right? I could not write a landing page to save my life for, for the internet side, for the pay-per-click or the pay-per-call. I couldn't write a website to save my life. But I can tell you, hey, this is the words, these are the keywords I want to advertise for. This is what's important to me. This is what you better be advertising. And this is the kind of stuff that I have found. And we track every call. This is the kind of stuff I found that's wasting my money. So I don't want these. So take these keywords out, get rid of them, do whatever you have to do and do that. To me, that's the advertising side, right? Advertising to me is I spend a dollar, I make 10. I spend a dollar, I make 10. That's advertising to me. It's immediate return. Marketing is my logo, my branding. That's marketing to me. So marketing in in my hillbilly way is a long-term play, right? And I, from day one, I've 100% done the marketing. So whether it's the catchphrase, the the idea, the how we go about it, the system, everything, the logo, that's 100% me still to this day as well. Awesome. And if you don't mind sharing, what have been some of your secrets to success when it comes to marketing and branding your company? Uh, local. Be local. Be proud to be local, right? People love that. So our logo is Master Rooter, so it's the MR in the state of Arizona. People love that. They they want that. They 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 love that you're a local guy. And nothing against some of the franchises out there. I understand that that... I guess I would phrase it was a successful model. Not that a franchise still can't be a successful model, but I don't think most consumers want that, right? When you call a service guy in particular, I think you want to know that that's your neighbor, right? That's that's the guy that I'm going to see at the grocery store. That's the guy that I'm going to see at my kid's Little League game. They want to have that interaction with you as a service professional a, a little bit from the old school era. So, to brand yourself local and to be local for me is huge. And so I was I was dead set on that. I can remember I, I did have a graphic designer guy that was working with me on coming up with the logo at first. And I'd kind of give him my ideas and he'd come back with something. And, you know, my ideas are, hey, listen, I want it to be local and you got to use the name somehow or the initials or something. And here's what you do. And he'd send me something back. And I remember I, I'd show my wife and I'd go, look at this crap. This guy just sent me like, this is awful. This is not what I'm. And then she'd come back and remind me that I suck at explaining things. You know, she's like, you're not giving them anything to work with. You know, it's in your head. So it's just that a lot of the back and forth to kindly finally come up with what it is you're, you're looking for and what the vision is in your head. But as we kind of got going with that and we kind of kept doing that to me, that's huge, right? Brand yourself local. Don't pretend to be something you're not. If if you are really good at something, focus on that. Don't pretend like you're great at everything. Just be really good at what you do. I don't do new construction, right? So why would, and I've had a ton of opportunities, right? We go out to a guy's house, we perform a service for him, and he says, I'm a general contractor, I build 100 houses a year. I'd really like to use you. The, the You know, the, the wallet side of me wants to be, well, sign me up, son, let's go. But the realistic side is, I suck at that. And I'm not going to compete with those guys. And that's not for me. That's not my niche. So I got to turn that guy down and say, no. But when your house breaks next time, give us a call. And, and we got to continue with that. 
because this is not something we're good at. And that doesn't mean we don't expand, but we expand out of our niche, right? So it's directly connected to it. And for me, service versus new construction is so different. That's not a, a leap that at this point I'm willing to make. 20 years from now, I might. But right now, we're not, and we haven't been. So focus on what you're really, really good at. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Don't try to grab every dollar. Grab every dollar in the channel that you're working in. Love that. Do you find yourself spending more time cleaning your pool than you spend swimming in it? Then you need to get in touch with Flamingo Pools. Flamingo Pools is your go-to swimming pool maintenance and repair company in the East Valley. Whether it's weekly maintenance, repairs, green-to-cleans, or one-time cleanings, Flamingo Pools is there to take care of you. Here's a few things that makes Flamingo Pools stand out from the crowd. When you first sign up for service, they'll give you a free complimentary inspection of the pool to make sure everything is running smoothly. They'll also email you a service report with a picture attached after every visit so you know when your pool has been cleaned. They also offer a mineral treatment, which will keep your chemical levels down, allowing you to have a healthier bathing experience. At Flamingo Pools, they know that your pool was made to be enjoyed, so let them handle the rest. Check them out at azflamingopools.com or give them a call at 480-422-6013. Mention this podcast and get your first month of weekly maintenance free. That's azflamingopools.com and 480-422-6013. Once again, love the intentionality with which you operate your business. And I got to say, I love your logo. When I first saw you in your t-shirt, uh, those, you know, our listeners can't see it, but uh, see the great state of Arizona with MR in it. Like it caught my eye as soon as I saw it. I'm like, yeah, I love that. So. Yeah. We also try to use the colors, very specific, right? Almost every plumbing company, and as soon as I tell you this, you'll be, oh, you're right. Every plumbing company is red, white, and blue, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they think that that American pride thing is so great, and they think that that shows through. I, I don't get it. I don't think that shows American pride. I think the fact that I'm proud of my state shows that I'm a proud American, right? But I don't need to have every truck be red, white, and blue. So we use copper because it's Arizona, right? It's a copper state. So copper is our color that we use to kind of, again, subliminally and somewhat stand out, but it's also something nobody else uses. So it it sets us apart. Don't don't be afraid to be a little bit different, right? It still says 24-7 plumbing and drain, just like everybody else. It's just a different color. It's a little bit more eye-catching. It's a little bit different. And we wanted to kind of blend a little bit of new school with some of the old school values, right? And we do that through technology and several different things, but we also tried to do it through our logo and our branding and things like that. Yeah, it definitely stands out. I love the copper color. Um, Does having that wrapped on your vehicles uh, drive a lot of calls and leads and revenue? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) we we track every single lead source. Mm -hmm. And so... On any given month, I would say we probably turn three to $5,000 in revenue from that. So it does some. What I think it does for you more is the marketing side, right? The brand awareness side. And it also gives you a degree of professionalism. I would never want my guys to pull up at a house without the truck being branded, right? When I'm there, you know who's there. And so while maybe the customer doesn't say it when they call in, no matter how we coax them, and I train the girls to take that information, but the neighbor across the street saw my truck. He remembers me. Now, tomorrow when his toilet clogs, he may not remember my phone number, but he's probably going to Google Master Router, right? So it's, it's that type of thing that we're looking for that I think is kind of unquantified, but that you get out of a truck wrap and yeah. things like that. Cool. 
And so you mentioned that you track all of your different lead sources. What mm-hmm. has been the most successful source of, of generating leads for you guys? Again, because we're an emergency plumbing, emergency-based service business, still number one is the internet. It still is PPC because yeah. we can dial that in, right? Because again, that's, and I've done everything and or looked at everything, billboards, TV, radio, et cetera. Still number one is still the internet, the paid Google ad that pops up at the top because it says, call me now, right? You've got a problem. You pick up the phone, you call me now. And I, I got into a really good discourse with a, a lady that was trying to sell me some TV advertising. And she had all her great stats about how great TV advertising was and all these plumbing companies that had used her and how wonderful they had done and how big they did, you know, and they do $20 million a year, Jason, you should really use us because they're not anymore. And, you know, now you can have your foot in the door and be the only guy on this channel. And so my question to her was, so when you wake up tomorrow morning and you can't flush the toilet, are you going to go turn on the TV or are you going to turn on your phone and search for a plumber? That might make me feel really good, uh, you know, uh, on the, the, narcissist side of me to turn on the TV and see my face and hear my company. And yeah, that's great. But is it really making me money? Probably not. Right. But right now, so you got to know your market, know what you're going for and how to get it. So that's still our number one. Yeah. We have a lot of success with a lot of different stuff. We get our number two category in terms of how we track our calls is customer referrals. Hmm. That's, that's number two. And we're doing 500 new customers a month and it's still, Number two is customer referrals. Wow. So when you find what you're good at, and you mentioned you've tried so many different things, is it worth doing that all still for as like a branding aspect sort of things to just kind of be spread out? Or now that you know you know what your bread and butter is, do you pretty much just only focus on what's going to bring you the most revenue? I still do everything, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and try new things. I just think it's still don't don't deviate yeah. from what you're good at, right? From where your bread and butter comes from. If I know my bread and butter comes from Google ads, then at least 75% of my budget is going to continue to go to Google ads. The other 25% is to play and to discover and to try other things. And I might strike lightning, but that's what that's for, right? That's, that's at least the way I split it up. So I'm going to try other things, right? So I try the mailers, you know, the Val packs. I try this, I try that. I, so I've got a lot of different stuff that I try and I like it. And some of it's great and some of it's not, but at the end of the day, don't, I don't take money from my bread and butter to try other things. Yeah. I still leave that there. And then as we grow, we try a few other things along the way and see how that pays off, what the dividends are for us. For entrepreneurs listening that might not be as organized when it comes to their marketing and all the different um, sources that leads are coming from, do you have a good recommendation for maybe a software that you use to kind of organize everything and kind of track where all of your leads are coming from? So ours is very industry specific, okay. uh, our software, and that gives us the ability to. So take that part out. What I would tell you is it doesn't matter what software you use. I don't care if you start the way I started my first business, which is, you guys remember the old uh, the old notepads with the phone messages? And it was like three and they were carbon copies. And there was like message one, message two, message three, and then you switch pages. I don't care if it's there. The biggest point it would be to ask every customer, how'd you get our information? How'd you hear about us today? And track that. Put it on an Excel spreadsheet if you have to. Write it on a yellow legal pad at the end of the month and sit down and count out where you got the majority of your leads. Because it's not how you do it, it's that you do it. Because you know how many guys don't do it? And that fact alone will set you apart from so many different entrepreneurs. 
Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. I mean, if you weren't tracking it, you might not even know that that the Google, the the pay per click was was bringing you the most amount of revenue. The problem is you start running so fast, right? Yeah. And, and as a business owner, you have to. And so you're running so fast and you're juggling so many balls that you forget some of the basics. So you're running and just trying to bring in as many customers as you can. So it's okay, I do this and then I do this and then I do this, and you just kind of forget. You don't circle back and you just keep going as quick as you can. And you know. Oh, I do this business group and I, I went to the chamber of commerce and I did this billboard and I did this and I did that. Cool. How much did you spend doing that? And how much did it bring you? And did you really focus on the one that did bring you money? And so I just, you know, do not let that tracking mechanism go. However you do it. Yeah. Any last, uh, t- tips or, or insights into marketing before we kind of shift, shift gears a bit? No, <laughs> I'm not a genius. Come up with a, you do have to have something catchy, right? I use a loss leader. Um, I think in a lot of businesses, you can use a loss leader. We use a $39 drink clean. I lose money every time I run a $39 drink cleaning call. But again, have that confidence in yourself that you're going to earn the customer because that's what we're doing, right? We're earning a lifetime customer if we do our job right. So yes, I'm losing. It's embarrassing to tell you how much money I lose off of each one of those loss leaders. I'm losing a ton of money. But I know that the lifetime value of that customer, if we treat them right, Mm. And if we do our job right, right, which is stickering the house and things like that, that we'll, we'll put a sticker on their water heater, sticker on their disposal. Uh, we use uh, specifically branded ball valves and toilet valves and stuff like that. So if we do our job right, they're going to call us again and they're not going to click again. So now my customer ROI went way down. And it, so that's going to help me out, but they're going to continue calling me. So the lifetime value of the customer is going to far exceed the loss that I did on the one. So I think having a catchy loss leader can be incredibly valuable. Awesome. Good point. So earlier you mentioned how for every three guys retiring, there's only one guy coming into the industry. That's rough, but yeah, about. Right, 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 about. And it it just kind of shows, you know, where, and I think a lot of, you know, hands-on labor type industries are are facing similar things. Um, How do you handle that? What do you do to try to find new work and new employees? Is it, is it, does it make you nervous what the future of the industry looks like with so many, with so less people coming into the industry? would love to hear some insights into that. For right now, it does, absolutely, because you're losing them so quick compared to how you get them. I feel very fortunate that we are, we're the biggest drain cleaning shop, biggest drain shop in the Phoenix metro market now. So, and, and the way that we incentivize our employees, the way that we treat our employees, I think is very good. So we actually have guys that want to work for us. So we're kind of left in that position where, yes, we have to constantly be recruiting and looking to bring on the right talent, but we're very rarely left shorthanded where we can't do it. We also grow a lot of our employees. So at any given time, we have three to five guys in just in apprenticeship that we are growing to be able to take that next fan. And so even today, I was in a meeting with my GM and my field supervisor going over which guys are ready to take a van, right? Because either this month or in January, we're going to be adding another van. We're going to be putting somebody else in a van. Who's it going to be? Because I don't want to hire from without. This time, I want to hire from within. If you have somebody great come from outside, let me know. We'll go ahead and we'll get them a van too, but we'll just go two for one instead. But I want to take somebody and put them up to that next level. So we do a little bit of everything in the way that we do it. Does it make me nervous for our industry? Yes. In the in the short term, midterm, absolutely. We're <laughs> industry, period. Trades it is up the creek without a paddle because you cannot get enough guys. That being said... People that are my kids' age, 
uh, you know, that, that kind of that teenage, that 10 to 16 range, maybe even up to about 18, I think you're starting to see a lot more of those kids that are starting to realize, man, I'm going to be $100,000 in debt and be working at Starbucks. Maybe having a, a you know, a, a trade isn't that bad a thing. And maybe that is noble. And they start thinking about, you know, a trade school, uh, something like that. And I'm starting to see that a little bit more with the teenage crowd. And we do a little stuff with high school just because of my kids and some of my guys' kids where we'll just kind of talk to some different high school groups um, and stuff like that and spend a little bit of time doing that. And we're also doing some stuff through some different church ministries that are doing job placement, right, for that 16 to 24-year-old crowd. And so they're, they're kind of doing that. We're not seeing a huge turnout. It's not, you know, by any means 80% of the, the, the guys or I guess anybody for that matter, but 80% of the people are not beating down our door saying, I, I can't wait to be a plumber. But what we are seeing is we are seeing an uptick in the number of people that are looking to do that. And that to me is at least very encouraging. Yes, that might still be 10 to 20 years down the road before that comes to fruition within the industry and within the trades. But seeing that a little bit at least is a very positive trend for me that we haven't seen in quite some time. Hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask, and you kind of just brought that up, how you've been going to schools and churches. Because like you said, I think there is a little more awareness with, hey, I don't want to go work at Starbucks and be a hundred grand in debt. Um, but people might not know, oh, I can go, you know, work for Master Root or if we're for an apprenticeship. So what are some other ways? Maybe that's kind of your bread and butter of what you do there. But I guess, how do you raise awareness and let people know that, hey, you know, you can make a decent living doing this and we'll actually train you to do it? So behind the scenes, without my name on it, I have a guy that I support that does blogs on the internet, uh, and he's 100% just donation funded, and he writes about trades and trade schools and stuff like that, and he writes on a bunch of different platforms, he writes a bunch of different blogs. So I support him, I know a couple of the other trade guys do too, because he's able to just kind of build that awareness, because the young crowd is still, everything's on the everything's on the internet for me. So if I'm... 15, 16, 18, 20, everything is definitely on the internet, right? So to allow them to read that, allow them to see that as they start doing some searches for career planning and things like that, I think is huge. And I think it's a huge opportunity for them to read stuff like that. So we do some of that. And then, like I said, we we go to some of these job placement type fairs through troubled youth. I'm not against that, right? Like I, I think that just because you made a mistake does not mean that you can't turn out to be one hell of a young man yeah. and turn into a very responsible adult. We also do a lot with the military. Um, some of my family members have been in the military. Some of my best guys came out of the military. So we'll try to do some military recruiting as they come out of there with, hey, let's grab them up as soon as they come out of there. Let's put them into an apprenticeship and let's get them out there in the field. So we try a little bit of everything in terms of bringing in the young blood. So when you do find someone that has the talent, what do you do to kind of vet them on like the character side of things? So like you mentioned, you, you take risks when you do your your um, your lost lead. Um, you're going out to the house, you're losing money, but you're confident that your guy's going to go show up and, and present himself in a way that they're going to become a lifelong customer. So I'm sure for you, you really want to make sure that whoever you're hiring, whoever's going out there is going to represent you and the company in a good way. So how do you make sure that you're hiring the right people outside of just the skill side of things? There's no way. I mean, that's unfortunately the answer. As the CEO, I know that I'm going to hire three. And if I'm lucky, I'll keep one. Okay. By the time they get through the paces. To ensure that we're not sending out a bad apple. That's the apprenticeship program, the helper program. Right. You start as a helper. Then you work to an apprentice. Then from an apprentice, you work to an in-van apprentice. And then from there, you go out as a tech on your own. 
So you're stuck with somebody. So you can only get so far out of hand when you've got, you know, a 10-year experience guy right there with you that's been working for me a yeah. long time because he'll just whack you in the head and tell you to get out of there. You know, so it's kind of that big brother program, so to speak. We get some of that, um, so that helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I know that I'm going to hire three and maybe keep one. Mm-hmm. So you just keep that in mind, and does it just start off on like a smaller pay scale and it goes up as they, Correct. As they advance? As you grow, you make more. So it's we're both investing, right? I'm, I'm investing in hiring a new employee, and we all know that those costs can be pretty significant. But at the same hand, they're investing in their future. Right. And that's kind of the way the trades work, right? You can go to college. I'm a huge proponent of college. Go to college. Get a degree. That's great. You're going to pay to go to college. Go to trade school. You're going to pay. Go be an apprentice. You're going to get paid to go to college. You're not going to get rich, right? But And sometimes you're barely going to make over minimum wage. But you're at least putting money in your pocket, and you're getting that education no different than if you went to college. It's not a unknowable thing, if that's a word, right? It, it, there's nothing to look down on in the fact that, oh, I'm making, you know, by today's standards, $15 an hour to, to be a, a helper or an apprentice. So what? I know a kid that's, you know, again, spending twenty five grand a year to go to ASU and really doesn't know what he's going to be when he grows up. And he's in his, you know, sophomore year. He's now fifty grand in debt, and where's he going to be? At least you're making something, hmm. and, and you're heading down the the path and it's more than just that it's that you have a future ahead of you right yes i make 15 dollars an hour today tomorrow i'll make 20 next year i'll make 35 and after that i'll make 55 60 bucks an hour okay that's good you know, you've got a path that kid that's floundering and not really sure where he's going to be and what he's going to be may not have that same direction so i think it's a very good thing positive for the young fellas as CEO, what's kind of your role in the company right now? Uh, look pretty, and <laughs> I, I it's it never changes a CEO, right? Because or or as founder or whatever you want to say, because your job is to always do everything. Now I'm very lucky that I have the right people, and I've hired the right people, and through attrition, I feel like I've got a very good team, and we're we're kind of there. But you still have to show up. You still have to be present. My team always laughs at me and they're like, man, if I was CEO, I wouldn't be here as much as you are. (laughs) Sorry, that's just me, right? I I show up. If I'm in the office and it doesn't matter if I'm taking care of personal business or what I'm doing when I'm in my office, I'm in the office and they see me and they know I'm there and I'm making an appearance and my my presence is known. So I think that's that's important. But I still do, as we discussed, the marketing piece. Uh, I still work with the forecasting piece. I still work with the budgeting piece. And then all the meetings that go along with it, right? Anything that goes legal immediately goes to me. Um, the marketing stuff that I deal with, the CPA stuff, the financials, the accounting, the taxes, all that kind of stuff. I still deal with that 100%. So anything financially related, I, I don't have my staff deal with in terms of the company. Now, a customer and that financial aspect with one customer, the team is empowered to go ahead and take care of that. But Who's going to write what check for how much for who and why? That's 100% me. Mm-hmm. And have you been away from the labor side of things ever since you got started with Master Rooter? Or were you still... I was away from the labor side long before yeah. that. Okay. Um, because I was running other companies, right? Or, right? or I was running a sales division at this company. I was running a, a, a whole division at, at this company. I was running an, the entire shop at this company. So I've been away from the labor side myself for 10 plus years. Okay. 
And so growing up with that, do you miss that side of things at all? Or are you happy to be where you're at? Uh, both. You know, I mean, age catches up with everybody, right? But on the other hand, you don't have that same uh, hands-on uh, thing. So number one, I, I'll still roll jobs, right? Which uh, what we call it. So I'll still go pop by jobs and check in on my guys, right? And what are we doing? How are we doing it? Are my standards being upheld? Yeah. All that. I'm probably not going to pick up a shovel and, and go after it in the same way that I would. But I'm still there. It still gives me a little bit of that hands-on feel. Any huge commercial projects that we do, I still go by and check on those much more frequently. Obviously for different reasons, but I still want to be very involved in that side of it. Uh, and then on the personal side, now from the physical activity standpoint, now I just go to the gym instead of getting fat and eating cheeseburgers and digging mm-hmm. holes. Now I go to the gym instead to get my physical activity. Talk to us about, I guess, what your ultimate goals are, because do you do you want to take an additional step back from where you're at and maybe not retire, but not be so involved? Or do you love what you're doing? Do you see yourself just continuing to be you know, involved on a daily basis in the business? Both. Um, I think that kind of the next step for me personally is a little bit of a step back. Uh, and as I kind of bring my team, my leadership team up a little bit, I plan to open up a few more businesses in general um, from a personal standpoint. So I kind of foresee myself overseeing all of those to some extent and each of them having a leadership team that can kind of report up to me. But will I still be involved on a regular basis? Yes. Whether that's a every day or a once a week or a three times a week, I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. You remind me of a joke that I heard years ago where uh, a doctor had a plumbing issue and he called the plumber. The plumber came out and, you know, fixed it, gave him a $500 bill. And the doctor's like, dude, I don't even make this much. I'm a surgeon. That's right. It's like, yeah, neither did I when I was a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's a great way to make money in the plumbing industry and in all the trades. And, and I love what you're doing to create those opportunities for young people today mm-hmm. to help them see and experience what uh, a meaningful career can be in the service industry. So you're doing a great work, Jason. Thanks. So I do want to take a few minutes and just talk about some of the services that you guys do offer because you said you stay away from from new build sort of stuff. Um, And it sounds like there is a lot of different, you know, avenues you could take within the plumbing industry. So what does Master Router do? What do you guys specialize in? So we're a full service plumbing company. Uh, We really specialize in the drain side, right? So uh, that is anything from snaking your drain to fixing your drain to replacing your entire drain system. Um, and then we focus on some of the specialties within that. So uh, old school method would be if I have to have my drain replaced from the bathroom all the way out to the street. Basically, somebody comes in and saw cuts that and trenches it and digs right through the middle of my house, right through the middle of my yard, all the way out to the sidewalk. We have the technology that we don't have to do that anymore, okay. um, and a lot of companies don't, and we have several different specialty technologies around that. Then also, we do some pipe lining, which is really huge, because if you imagine some of these, it's basically putting a pipe within a pipe with some different proprietary processes. So if you imagine some of these high-rises that need their entire sewer system replaced, and they're individually owned condos, 500, 1,000, you're not going to go in and kick out a thousand residents that own their condo and say, right. get out while we replace the sewer mm-hmm. system for the next year in this house. So there ha- or in this building. So there has to be a way to do that. So the ability to go in and line those pipes allows you to do that. Oh. That's a extremely expensive system um, and a lot of work and training and 
failure and everything that goes into that. But we went ahead and we invested in that uh, a little over a year ago so that we would be able to do that and compete in that marketplace. So we definitely have that as well. So we really specialize a lot in drains as a drain shop. I do have a TI division, which is not ground up construction, but kind of that remodel construction on a commercial side, right? So I'm going to take a CrossFit gym and make it into a coffee shop. So the landlord's going to give me a build out budget. We'll go in and we'll do that for you. So I do have a division that does that. Mm -hmm. There's only about eight guys in that division right now. So we're still kind of small, but we will do that. We just don't do any ground up construction. So it's really the all things service plumbing, heavy, heavy focus on drains and then the little TI division. Gotcha. And so it sounds like you do residential as well as commercial. Absolutely. I've heard, are, are they kind of like two totally different worlds or are they pretty similar to, can you kind of cross, you know, employees and have them do different jobs? How does that work? Yes. Uh, generally that commercial is a little bit more in depth, uh, requires a little bit more experience. So maybe somebody that's got a little bit more experience in that world. Gotcha. But it's basically the same thing, just on a larger scale. Now, there are additional things in commercial plumbing that a strictly residential plumber may never see. So we do try to kind of get the guys there. But we try to cross-train as much as possible, uh, whether it's in their career development, as they're coming up, whatever that is. Because we want those the young men, you know, the techs, to be able to have as much experience as they can. If not even just for us, but for their own yeah. self-development, right? right? Whether they're going to work for us for the next 30 years or whether they're going to quit and move to Alaska and be a plumber to be able to say, well, I can do residential, I can do commercial, I can do, that's huge for their development and their income potential. Yeah, for sure. I would love, just before we get close it up, to just hear kind of an insight into, you, you've done such a great job of, of kind of teaching us and, and helping us know and, and our, our listeners know how they can really scale their business. Uh, but I know a big part of scaling and having a big business is kind of the structure and then the systems and processes you have in place. Um, would love to just hear some of your insights and just prick your brain for a minute on some of the systems that you've set up, some of the things that you've learned that have helped you guys to be efficient as a company and running such a big, um, a big company. I think that, you know, for us, every system, some of them are, are probably boring because they're a little just industry specific, right? Yeah, Plumbing yeah. specific of uh, what the process is. But it's for me as simple as you pull the van up and you're parked the right way on the street in front of the house. Uh, when you walk up, you know, are, how do you look? Do you knock on the door or do you ring the doorbell? I knock on the door because a friend knocks on the door, right? A salesman rings the doorbell. We're not salesmen. We're your friend. We're here. We're your local plumber. So, I mean, I will slap a guy on the hand if I see him ring a doorbell. So, <laughs> little stuff like that. So, we definitely have things that are, are very drawn out for us in the way that we do it. Whatever your system is, I think the most important part is to develop that system one step at a time. And walk through with what you as the CEO would do, right? Because most CEOs have kind of done it all, right? I, I was a helper. I was a laborer. I was whatever. How did you do it? And what was the successful way to do it? And now make that a system and make everybody do it. And sometimes that becomes a little bit difficult, right? Because you go, oh, if I hire this guy, he may not want to do this. This is not optional. This is the way you will do it. This is the system. This is the way everybody's going to do it. And I'm sorry to play that card, but it's that way because I said so. Yeah, And that's the way we're going to do it because it also pays your check and it also works, right? The proof's in the pudding. From a personal standpoint, I've got more sewer sales than almost anybody in the Valley that I've ever heard of. Okay. And there's one guy that did beat me on a regular basis uh, <laughs> when I was coming up, but you know, short of that guy, I've got more sewer sales than anybody else in the Valley on a personal basis, on a one person basis. 
I know that my system works. You know my system works. It's clear. So here's what we're going to do. So from setting the system like that to the way that we do it in the office, which has to be ever-changing, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to evolve that system, but set the system in a way that you know what's there. And so we do it in a very professional way in terms of the way that our technicians interact, the way that our office staff interacts with the phones and how they answer the calls and stuff like that at the office level to the bookkeeping side in terms of I have certain reports that I want and I'm not going to ask you for them. You're going to send them to me. You're going to send them to me daily because whether I'm at the office or sitting here with you, my phone better be going off of that report because it's the end of the day and I said so. And that's the way it works because I want to have that snapshot of my business at all times, right? right? Not to mention you'd certainly use technology to be able to check in on different things as you're kind of going throughout the day. So setting those systems and having the ability to inspect what you expect, right, is huge for me because it's really hard to tell somebody do this and then to forget about it. But if you constantly harp on that, as much as it sounds like you're just, you know, whipping a dead horse, keep on it because you will build that system. You will build that process. Then as you get going with that, you can entrust that to other people, right? So I now entrust that to my GM. And I say, this is the way it's going to be. I'm sorry. This is what you have to uphold. And this is the way it's going to be. If you feel like there's a problem with that, feel free. And you have to empower your people. I empower him to come have that conversation with me and tell me that I'm wrong. We'll sit down. We'll have an open, healthy dialogue about that. He may be right. I may be right. And nobody may be right, and I may just pull that CEO card again and say, it's my company, bro. We're going to do it this way because I said so. But you have to have that. So just set those systems in place. Do not falter from them and base it off what got you to where you're at. I've had every single job at my company, right? I've answered the phone. I've been the laborer. I've been the helper. I've been the apprentice. I've been the tech. I've been the field supervisor. I've been the, the salesman. I have, I've done it all. I've been the GM. How would I do that today? How do I do that? And then take some of that information, right, that I learned running those big companies and how they did it and how their guys did it and what they expected and set that out. Don't be afraid to to copycat somebody. Don't be afraid to innovate some of their ideas, but take it and set it out. And this is the system and this is the way we're going to do it. And be unwavering in your belief that if you set that system right, it will work and it will succeed. Love that. I love the uh, inspect what you expect. Have to. All the time. Awesome. Well, Jason, we have loved having you on today. Um, learned a ton from you. Thank you, guys. Uh, before we get closing up, we have a quick game that we're going to play with you. Okay. And so how it works is we've got a list of 20 questions that we're going to ask you, and you've got a minute to answer as many of them as you can. Okay. Okay. We'll start in three, two, one. Uh, your dream vacation. Hawaii. First thing you'd buy if you won a million dollars. Something for my wife. Favorite hobby. Uh, the gym, weightlifting. If there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? Eating. A song you've been jamming to lately? Uh, anything by Morgan Wallen. If you lived to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? Body. Uh, favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate and vanilla. Favorite fictional character? No idea. Favorite smell? <laughs> Anything that's cooking. Uh, what's your nickname? J-Lo. Pet peeve? Uh, lazy people. Uh, favorite restaurant? Uh, probably Steak 44. If you could switch places with someone for a day, who would it be? Bezos. 
All right, and there's our time. So that was 14, not bad. That's uh, that's up there with the top of them. Cool. Not surprised. <laughs> hey, Jason, let our listeners know where they can connect with you, learn more about you, call you out to get a, a plumbing job done if they need to get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're online, masterrooteraz.com. Uh, you can find us on basically any social media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we're kind of on, on all of them. Uh, I don't think we've quite got the TikTok thing down yet, but we're working on it. Uh, but uh, we're, we're just trying to come up with some original content yeah. for that to kind of uh, further the industry. But we're basically available anywhere. Or you can just, uh, like I said, pull us up online and call the office. We're always happy to help talk to you, whatever we can do. Awesome. And I have a quick special offer for our listeners as well. Yeah, we're going to throw them, uh, anybody that calls up and mentions the podcast, uh, we're going to give them a 15% off whatever their total bill is. So, you know, their total plumbing bill, parts, labor, the whole thing, we'll give them 15% off. Perfect. Okay, well, thanks so much, Jason. It's been a pleasure having you on. Appreciate it. Awesome. We'll catch you all next week. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing, it helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.